Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Britt Hartley, how are you? I'm so good, Bill. How are you? I'm excellent. Life is good. Life treating you well? Yeah, I have a question for you before you start. You Please. spend time on social media from time a, to time. A little bit, just a little. And bit. you'll engage with people from time to time. Have you, And I'm trying to, you know, I've, I've been more active on social media lately. Uh, now that my kids are in school, putting out um, content and just things that I'm interested in. And I get quite a bit of pushback. And I have that tendency, and I think you do too, that I enjoy dialogue, I enjoy debate, I enjoy conversation, and I want to talk with each person or respond to each thing, or I get mad and I'll think about how I would make an argument to this person and I'll think about it for the rest of the day. And then I go through a day, a few days not looking at the comments so that I can get my mental health back in order. And then I kind of swing back and forth. And so my question is kind of how have you made peace with social media in wanting to put out messages that you would have found helpful to you yourself at earlier stages of your deconstruction, but not have it take over your life and your mental well-being. How do you do that? I don't know if I've done that. So let me, <laughs> let me say that you've been uh, on social media longer than me. So do you have any words of wisdom for me? So the one thought is in the last say six months or so, there's times where like just this morning, I'm, uh, I saw something on, uh, Thoughtful, was it Thoughtful Faith? Um, it's like the new Facebook group that Jacob Hansen's in charge of, right? And so I'm 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 a, a member of that Facebook group, and I see a post come across my feed this morning, and it was incendiary. And I wanted I wanted to respond. And I thought for about 10 seconds that I could waste an hour responding to that, or I could just not respond to it. And I chose not to. And I think mm, uh, so the older hard. I the older I get, I sort of pick and choose. If I can poke in, say something in a few minutes, maybe get somebody or a few people to kind of think through something, great. If I'm just going to get caught up in some back and forth with somebody, I tend to no longer get into those. Yeah. Uh, you won't see big, long threads with me uh, with me responding back and forth over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, uh, I think a better thing to do would be to create an artistic drawing and make your message <laughs> that way. Yeah, well, I'll definitely ask the same question to the guests that we have today. But yeah, I think the thing with TikTok is when someone stitches your videos, they can do a three or four minute multiple kind of attack on both what you're saying and also your character, right? And so like yeah. I'm sitting there watching some of these videos, like for lack of a better word, Jesus Christ, like, <laughs> and then, you know, sometimes I have to resettle before I decide how I want to respond to it. But man, two it's other, a tough world out there. Two other little things. One is that bad publicity is still good publicity. Number one. <laughs> I guess it doesn't and, feel like that. And number two, there's an old cliche in the world wrestling federation vernacular, which was uh, red equals green. And so anytime there's blood, it actually meant more money, more ratings. Mm -hmm. And so having a little bit of like, 
you said this and you said that. And uh, I think is, is all good for ratings. So uh, mm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so quick to need all that to go away. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Getting some green lights from Bill to respond to these attacks on my character. Yeah. <laughs> my gosh. But I'm super excited for today. We've been looking forward to this for a few weeks. So, we yeah, are going to totally. bring on David Hayward, ex-pastor cartoonist that goes by the name of the Naked Pastor. If you've ever even dipped your toe into the deconstruction space, you've seen your his cartoons and you probably don't even know it. And we are so excited to hear more about the man behind the cartoons today. So we'll bring on David Hayward, a.k.a. the Naked Pastor. How are you, David? I'm great. How are you guys? Awesome. Glad you, yeah, so super glad. Like she said, we've been fans from afar for so long as you've shared your uh, artwork with a message, yeah. it is obvious that you have been on the path that we have been on probably years and years ahead of us. And uh, there were moments where your, uh, your work gave me a chance to just recenter, take a breath and go, let's not take this all too seriously. <laughs> and for me, yeah. And for me, Bill and I are both kind of more wordsy maybe a little leaning on the verbose side at times. And when we want to tackle an idea, I mean, we can go three hours without even blinking an eye if we really get going. And the beauty of kind of what you do and why I have so, such holy envy for it is that you can say in a sentence, in one sentence in a cartoon, what Bill and I take three hours to lay out. And what we've experienced for a decade. Yes, and it will pierce someone you know, just as strong, if not stronger in the brevity that you're able to do it with. Whereas, you know, Bill and I have to kind of dance around it a lot longer to get there. And I just really appreciate your gift with that. Well, thank you very much. Um, thanks for having me on your show too. And hello, everybody out there. But, you know, uh, I've also written 10 books and I'm writing my 11th. So I do have words. Well. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. We're going to get, we're going to get into all that. I want to know well, all the yeah. things. So my first question is just, for those who have maybe just seen a cartoon and just have no idea about who you are, can you just tell us a little bit about your story, especially your religious background and how you came to be, how you became the naked pastor? Okay. Um, yeah, I was, I was raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad were born again out of Billy Graham crusade, you know, so uh, I was, I was born Anglican. I was baptized as an Anglican as a baby Um uh, and then we just sort of shifted around to different churches, whatever was convenient. Uh, my dad was transferred around a lot. And um, so we just found the most convenient church. So we weren't loyal to any one denomination until I was about 15 or so. And I, I got born again at a Baptist youth group. And then we switched to Pentecostal. I ended up going to a Pentecostal Bible college in the States. I'm from Canada, by the way, uh, in the States. And um, that's where I met my wife, Lisa, who is an American. Um, then I went for my master's at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary in New Testament studies. Long story short, I was heading, I was taking my PhD in New Testament when um, we got side railed by becoming pregnant and couldn't afford continuing in that, you know, in school. So I ended up getting ordained as a Presbyterian minister and pastored in the Presbyterian Church in Canada for many years. And then I quit one day and ended up a vineyard pastor. And uh, if many of you don't know what that is, vineyard is sort of a, a mix between 
Baptist kind of theology and evangelical theology and Pentecostal experience or charismatic experience and so on. And then I left the ministry in 2010 to devote full time to Naked Pastor, which I'd been running for five years already. I launched Naked Pastor in 2005, started cartooning in 2006. And yeah, it's it's gone from there. Uh, I, I The reason I called my blog Naked Pastor was because um, at the time, Naked Chef, Naked Archaeologist, Naked Truth, all those were popular at the time. And so, you know, it's nothing to do with nudity, but it has to do with being raw and real and vulnerable and honest and, you know, without adornment. And so I wanted to sort of pull back the curtain and let people see what really goes on in the ministry, what really goes on in the church. Uh, in Christianity uh, as an honest sort of critique with love uh, of uh, what I was experiencing as a pastor. So, yeah, that's how Naked Pastor came about. Uh, I want to follow up and ask, did you feel really safe inside to be vocal about uh, the things that were going on around you? Or was there a sort of like a leaning into it and kind of going like, oh, like I can be vulnerable and that's actually appreciated because it seems like in this religious arena, we often come to being straightforward and vulnerable really carefully. Yeah, there. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm a little bit naive. Um, I, I assume people will be excited about the same things I'm excited about and that, uh, you know, I will... I don't mean to be vulnerable. I, I do mean to be honest, but I have this sort of naive assumption that other people are going to appreciate that. And sometimes I'm surprised. Well, often I'm surprised that uh, people don't appreciate that honesty or whatever as much as I do. There are times, though, when I do press post when I'm sure I'm going to get some kickback. But most of the time, I'm just like, la, 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 you know, having fun, drawing pictures, posting them on the Internet and seeing what happens. <laughs> I'm curious about. So in that story, there was like quitting and going to a new ministry. Mm -hmm. And then there was also like you were still a minister, but you started blogging and the blog was kind of dealing with some of the some of maybe the heavier things that were weighing on you that right. you've seen in your ministry. So can you talk a little bit more of just like that period and you're inside the walls, deconstructing, making sense of it um, mm -hmm. and just kind of how that looked from the side of experience. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I actually started my deconstruction journey actually started on the day of my graduation from seminary. It was mm -hmm. the actual day of my graduation I was in my gown. Uh, I was getting ready to go to the ceremony and I was freaking out because I suddenly realized I wasn't sure about the inspiration of scripture anymore. Now, the inspiration of scripture to me was the cornerstone of all my belief system. It was the bedrock. All my beliefs sort of stemmed from that. And so what that did, it was kind of like a a massive continental shift in, in, in my spirit or whatever in my mind that uh, if the Bible isn't inspired, then everything I believe is at risk. And, and so it was a, a, 
that was a very traumatic moment for me. My wife actually had to grab me by the shoulders and say, you got to go to your graduation ceremony. And it was, it was devastating, but that's where it began. I still went into, you know, continued my studies, continued in the ministry, hoping one day that this would all figure out and uh, make sense. And so that's the path I chose was, uh, giving myself time to integrate that trauma and that change of mind and theology with, you know, what I believed and what I didn't believe. And, and hopefully over time it would make sense until it was around 2009 when all the pieces seemed to fall in place. That's a long time. Like it's like 30 years. And uh, it was the next year I actually left the ministry. Mm. Yeah. Um maybe back a little bit to the question I asked previously, mm -hmm. you have to imagine that when you're criticizing the unhealthiness of religion, which often your work is doing and very, very poignantly, mm -hmm. um, what, Thanks. like, what is some of the, yeah, you're welcome. What is some of the pushback? Have you gotten any, you know, Orthodox believers in various religious systems writing you and criticizing you for kind of poking at the church and, Oh, yeah. uh, I'm just curious what some of that's looked like. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I, 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 I get a lot of people saying, um, you've left the church, leave us alone. Yeah. Kind of an attitude. Yeah, we've heard that. We've heard that a few times. And I, but when I was in the church, it was also like, you're a part of this church, leave us alone. Like, so it was like, don't bite the hand that feeds you. But now, you know, uh, now you have no right to say anything because you're not a part of it. So it's th those are all attempts to silence the critique, you know, and, and to, you know, keep everything cozy and comfortable in the way it always has been. But yeah, I get, I get critique all the time that the church is the bride of Christ and, you know, it's beautiful and uh, it's not the church, it's the bad churches or the bad ministers or pastors or whatever. Uh, and, you know, I have a lot of people saying, like, why why are you still harping on this? Like, why can't you just drop it and leave it alone? It's because I care. Like, religion's here to stay. Uh, so is Christianity, included in religion, of course. And, and I believe the church is here to stay. I think people should have the right to gather as communities around shared values. Uh, you know, I, I support that. I believe in that. And, and, and in many ways, it helped me and nourished me. I, I call the church my family of origin, uh, kind of like my, my mother. I had to move out, though, because she was way too controlling. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's the way I sort of view it. And so in many ways, I care. If we're going to do this, can we please do it in a healthy manner? That's basically my approach to uh, critiquing the church and, and its theology and the way it gathers. Yeah, we couldn't agree more. Um, before we move on to kind of your life post active pastor, what what did you love most when you look back? Is there anything that you miss, um, or just what did you love the most about about being a pastor? Well, this is the catch twenty two, and it's the community. Like I think the the biggest pain point of most people who leave the church is that they they miss the community aspect of it, and I, I had a huge uh, 
sort of learning curve lesson after I left the ministry, I decided to watch some documentaries on cults. And it was very interesting to me that to a T, almost everybody who left the cult were in tears, even though they were horribly abused and they knew it, they still missed the intensity of intimacy and the community that they had. And it started me thinking, you know, maybe, maybe those come together, you know, that intense intimacy, no secrets, sharing everything, um, you know, all your activities are around that community or in that community. It's sort of a, 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 a ghetto bubble of religious intensity and fellowship and, and so on. Maybe, maybe that's not as healthy as I thought it was, you know, so I, I've had to go back in hindsight and sort of critique uh, what is true community, what is healthy community and that community that we miss, do we really want that again? Because I think sometimes it's kind of like a Trojan horse that allows in um, some, some kinds of abuses that I don't think any of us want to return to. Do you, do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. No, I, I 100% know what you mean. And Bill and I have talked about this a lot that are on kind of on the outside now, our relationships are a lot deeper because we don't have to pretend or um, kind of mm -hmm. show this face that you have to do at church. And so yeah. we've had to re-examine, did this, you know, this room that we feel like we were loved and we belonged, how much of that was really real and how much of that can I get kind of even more intimate on the outside. And yeah. so... Um, I, I resonate with that a lot, but there are still times, even though Bill and I can speak until the cows come home about the abuses of Mormonism or the falsehoods of Mormonism or um, kind of the illusion of belonging. We can, we can talk about that all day long, but for me personally, and that this may surprise some people, there are still some times because I have so many family and friends around me who are still active members that if the church were to say, you know, if you could be a secular Mormon, like you can be a secular Jew where you can just kind of show up sometimes and be totally accepted that I would still come back from time to time because there are some people that I miss that I've lost. So, and so it's like it's like holding both like there there are times where I feel like I could go. I would want to go back if I wasn't so shunned as I am now to be able to. Um, but also um, the, the belonging and intimacy that I have on the other side is a lot deeper than I used to have. So both of those are true. Yeah. And I hold both of those. Yeah. Are you both Exmos then? Mm -hmm. Oh, See. yeah. So we don't talk about Mormonism a lot on this podcast. Bill has a whole platform of, of other, um, Mormon spectrum mm -hmm. podcasters. Uh, but on this podcast, we focus mostly on, okay, we've deconstructed, we've left, what's next? And that's kind of what yeah, yeah, our yeah. podcast does. Right. But yeah, that is, our, that is our kind of first faith family, as you say. That's kind of the bread and butter of the umbrella of podcasts that we do is that we help give people information sufficient that they can make new choices and in most instances, I think, eventually leave Mormonism. Yeah, and that's, that's huge. That's, yeah. that's really huge. Yeah, yeah. that's fantastic, yeah, actually. You got one, Bill? Okay, I'll go. No, no, go ahead. Um, so then, so that's, so you, I mean, there's, in some senses, you love just the community and how you can just show up and there's just kind of this instant community when you're a part of a church. And then what was the most, when you look back, what was the most difficult thing about being an active pastor? Like mm. what was always just kind of 
grinding at your soul or giving you cognitive dissonance or what was just the hardest thing about it? Well, it's, 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 I think for me, what um, bothered me the most, I always struggled with my calling as a pastor. Uh, and I struggled most with working within the system. I, I, I believe there is such a thing as systemic evil. And I believe all systems are prone to it and have the germ. Um, and I think it takes the members and the leadership of any community intense intentionality to prevent what I believe is a gravitational pull towards the dehumanization of its members. I really do believe that needs to be absolutely number one intentional in the minds of communities is how to prevent it from becoming abusive and manipulative and coercive and, and all those things. I think that has to be the number one. And so I, I constantly was making that number one, but the system, if you don't have cooperation within that community, if people don't understand that dynamic of systemic evil uh, and the gravitational pull of all organizations, all systems towards dehumanization, then it's, it's really an uphill battle. And so that's what I was constantly um, fighting against inside the system was to prevent it from, uh, you know, crystallizing into something abusive. Yeah. And, and yeah. Sorry, Bill. No, no, no. I can relate deeply. I, I served as a bishop in the LDS church. It's a lay ministry. I didn't go to any kind of training or anything for it. No training at all. And I was just a carpet salesman called to lead a congregation and have interviews with kids about sexual, you know, when they would come in and have a, uh, something they're doing that they felt shame over, um, to sit and try to counsel. I, I was newly married myself, essentially. And, trying to counsel folks uh, on what they should do to solve their marital problems. But I think you hit the nail on the head. I Like you, I think Britt would agree. We both love community. Um, it's sort of fake once you get on the outside and realize that you only belong so long as you fit the part and look like you, you're one of them. Mm -hmm. But the, but the negative was that when I became a Bishop, the LDS church hand hands all of its leaders, uh, a manual, a handbook. Mm -hmm. And it says, you know, when somebody comes to you with an issue over homosexuality, or you have a youth who's confessing, uh, breaking the law of chastity. This is how you handle these things, right? Right. And so you're sort of, you can come to the calling, you can come to the responsibility really healthy, having the ability to kind of let people be their version of humanity. But then you're told that what God really wants you to do is handle all of these things a certain way. And hence, it, it it's kind of a safe uh, space for abusive behavior. So if somebody comes to, uh, mm -hmm. in a leadership position, they can sit down with a child, for instance, in a one-on-one -on -one conversation and the rest of the congregation sort of expects that to be normal. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, you're just a grown man behind closed doors with a kid, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, but it also, it takes very healthy people and it sort of sabotages their healthiness and says, I know you would prefer to do things this really healthy way, but in order to follow the rules of the church, you need to handle it this way. Mm -hmm. And you're sort of sabotaged into thinking that unhealthiness is healthy. And so mm -hmm. I can totally, totally relate to yeah. uh, your thoughts there on, on both the pros and the cons. Yeah. One of the, one of my books that I wrote is, is called without a vision, my people prosper. 
uh, it's, you know, it's uh, uh, playing around with that verse without a vision, my be my people perish. But uh, I, I sort of take um, uh, um, Bonhoeffer's idea of community that visionary thinking uh, is kills community and sort of embellish that. And I took a whole bunch of my blog posts where I talk about um, try to do church and community without a vision, without a goal, without a mission statement and all those things. And, and we, we did that. And uh, it, it really was wonderful. Like we, we were, you know, doing an ex performing an experiment in, in community and it was chaos, but it was creative chaos. And what I find is a lot of churches and leaders and so on are lean towards managing people and controlling people. Uh, and the thought of not having a vision and not having a common goal and all those kinds of things uh, messes with their leadership conscience and they, they, they can't do it. And, and the church ends up becoming that kind of controlling atmosphere. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. Um, before we move on to kind of your books and your cartoons, uh, I get this question a lot because I was in when I was when I had to be honest with myself about how I had kind of lost my faith in God. I was about to write my dissertation in my PhD in theology and realized I don't think I can write this thing because I don't think I believe in God anymore. And that was a very hard day. <laughs> But um, yeah. for you, do you regret getting your degree in kind of religious studies and theology or even now kind of being on, on the outside of organized religion? Do you enjoy that process for what it taught you about human nature or both? <clears throat> so early do you regret on, kind of getting your education. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah. So er early on um, in my pastoral career, I took a clinical pastoral education course and the instructor was excellent. And I, I, he introduced me to Carl Jung and I dove deep into him and his writing, his ideas. And, um, you know, the whole integration of all of our parts, including our shadow, uh, you know, all these things um, meant a lot to me and made sense to me. Uh, at the same time, I was reading Thomas Merton, you know, sort of the mystics and all this kind of thing. And my approach to my life then became, all right, um, <clears throat> even though I don't agree with like the Pentecostal Bible College I went to, uh, a lot of what they taught or believed or, you know, an evangelical seminary, Gordon-Conwell, even though I don't agree with everything I was taught there, somehow I need to figure out a way to integrate all this stuff into my life rather than saying I was duped. It was all bullshit. I'm moving on uh, and rejecting it all. For me, the healthier way is to figure out a way to integrate all that, like fold it all in. Uh, the analogy I like to use is like compost. It's half soil and half shit, excuse my language, but it's true. And, and it all gets folded in together, the good and the bad to make something even richer and, and so that's how I sort of approach my past. Even all my experience as a pastor, all the good and the bad somehow gets folded in to make the culture out of which I am growing as me. So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like, I like to say, I wouldn't be who I am now unless I was who I was then. 
if you tore out those chapters in my life, I wouldn't make any sense now. So they, they all, it all gets, it, it all gets folded in, all gets integrated. And somehow I think that makes me wiser and deeper and, um, you know, more empathic, uh, empathetic, uh, and more, um, compassionate and understanding of other people who are going through all kinds of things. So yeah. I, I have another analogy too, where I used to think of growth as linear, where you leave the past behind you. That no longer made sense to me. So then I, I sort of adopted the stages one, you know, James Fowler, the stages of faith. But then that didn't make sense either because you kind of look down on your previous stages as if you're elevating yourself. Now I think of growth as spatial, where you grow outward and it includes everything that went before. There's no rejection. Mm -hmm. It's all assimilated somehow. Nothing's wasted. And uh, that's how I think of growth now. It's interesting when you talk because as you're using words to express yourself, I can still tell your, that your mind is very visual in just the analogies that you use. It's very interesting to listen to. And your Canadian comes out every once in a while when you say a boot and <laughs> other things. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. But yeah, you have a very, yeah, I could just tell in your analogies that you have this kind of visual way of processing this. And Bill and I have talked about this on the podcast before because we've used, you know, Stage Fowler or the Fowler stages of faith before, and then you can get into conversations where people will say, I'm at stage five and you're just at stage three. You're too binary. You're not where I am yet, you know, and you can have an ego trip with that. And yeah. then both of us kind of started to get more into like spiral dynamics and that it's just this kind of, you go deeper in, you connect deeper without, and it's almost yeah. like this yeah. more spiral kind of in and out movement where you're, yeah. you're still returning back to things that you learned previously and it's not gone. And it's something that I encourage people to do when they're deconstructing is because sometimes in the deconstruction world, we can just talk a lot about how religion is bullshit or all the ways that it's bullshit in a way that shames our previous self. And when we do that, it just feels, it just doesn't feel like wholeness, wholeness to me. Like you're talking about, it feels like I'm shaming 20 years of my life and calling myself yeah. stupid and evil. Yeah. And that's not how I felt like I, that's not what I felt like I was doing when I was that person. No. And so it feels a lot more whole to kind of look back at your story with some grace and, and see yeah. kind of where you are and why you were driven to do what you do and your anxieties and human nature and mm -hmm. institution and all these things. And that's why I always say that even as an atheist now, and I'm not doing anything, that I thought I'd be doing with my theology degree. I, I just don't regret any of that education at all or that story at mm. all for the same reason. So I really resonate with that. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about your books. And I will admit, I knew you had been doing cartoons for years, like years and years for, you know, I mean, I didn't deconstruct till maybe 2010. So you were already very active by then. Um, and I just, I didn't even know that there were books. And so I'm so excited to hear I'm more. Typical, I'm your typical artist. I suck <laughs> at um, So I'm so excited. Tell us about your books, kind of maybe the ones that you would stand out for maybe this audience. So this audience are those people who are still kind of curious about spirituality, but wanting to do it in a more healthy way after deconstruction is probably where most of our audience is. So mm -hmm. tell us about your books and which ones kind of stand out to you as you look back of the okay. 10, okay. 9 you have going on. 
Yeah, so I have I have a few books are just collections of cartoons, but a few of the books that I'll tell you about that are my bestsellers, let's say. Um, and I'm not, you know, every writer knows, well, most writers know, 99% of writers know, they don't make a lot of money from books. But, and, and so, uh, the, but the books that are most popular, um, I'd say one of my most popular is The Liberation of Sophia. And it's a, a, a series of, of drawings I did of a woman in the wilderness who made her escape from oppression the patriarchy and religion and, and so on. And it's just her in the wilderness. And I, I did a meditation for each one. There's like 59 drawings in that. Um, that's very popular, especially with women. Um, then I, I have another one called questions are the answer. And it's basically kind of like a memoir of, of how I came to the conclusion that questions are actually the most valid uh, vehicle for wisdom. Um, and, questions shouldn't be shunned or be uh, feared, but embraced. And, and so that's what that whole book's about. Um, I wrote a book for people who are deconstructing while married. Uh, and I call that one till doubt do us part when changing beliefs, change your marriage, uh, because that happens to a lot of couples. Uh, one might start deconstructing while the others, you know, digging in their heels or vice versa, whatever. And, um, so Lisa and I went through that after I left the ministry, we sort of crashed. Uh, our marriage was in rough shape there for a couple of years. Um, so I wrote a lot about that and uh, compiled that with a bunch of kind of funny cartoons in there as well to illustrate uh, the different aspects of, you know, trying to stay married while um, changing our beliefs. And so that one is helping a lot of people. And then I wrote another one. <clears throat> this will be the last one I mentioned, but I, I did mention the one on visionary thinking in the church. And then one on, um, I did one on deconstruction called The Lasting Supper and uh, Letters for Deconstruction. And then the last one I'll mention is I did one on money, believe it or not, called Money is Spiritual. And because when I left the ministry, I realized I had a really unhealthy attitude about money, about business about selling, about promoting my art, about marketing, all these things. And I had to, I had to go to the university of life to heal myself of some really bad attitudes about, about all that. And so I basically exercised my demons by, by writing about it and came out with that book, money is spiritual. And it's for people who, you know, have a hard time with money, um, have a really negative attitude about money. And that might be, you know, evangelical Christians or Christians in general or religious people in general or artists or creators or writers or whatever. So those are the books I'm going to mention. Yeah. I'm curious just before you go on, Bill, I'm curious about the money one because <laughs> that is a demon I've had to wrestle with because in um, the faith tradition we come from, everybody gives their service for free. Like that's, that's kind mm -hmm. of what we do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> as I'm moving into this space as a spiritual director where I'm asking for money for, you know, my education and my time and my spiritual services, like that was so, so hard at first. Like I mm -hmm. felt like, am I just like one of those gross gurus that's just asking for money for something that I should be giving away for free. And yeah. I was, I was a big mess with all of that. So that of all the ones, I think I'm going to check out that one first. <laughs> 
Okay, go ahead. It's, it's a tough one. I mean, when I wrote that book and I, I started sharing that I'd written a book on money, I couldn't believe the hatred I got back for that. And, um, but like when we left the ministry, uh, we had to file for bankruptcy um, because we were so bad off, so deep in debt and so poor, no income. And I, I realized, you know what, if I'm going to make it in this world, if, I, if I'm going to help support myself, my wife, our kids, we have three grown kids now, but like if I'm going to be able to pay rent or mortgage and have a car and all that, I, I need to figure this out because I can't keep going down this path. And uh, so I, I went to school, like I went to conferences, I got coaching, I read books and there is a lot of iffy stuff out there. I'll agree. There's a lot of stuff out there that I'm not, you know, like the manifestation thing and all that. Um, but I learned a lot and I, I did heal a lot of that issue and um, I'm able to actually make money now from my art and my books and coaching and all that kind of thing that, you know, um, several years ago, I just would never have even dreamed of it. Mm. Yeah. The, while you guys were talking through that last question, I was actually on Amazon placing an order for the lasting supper letters for deconstruction. Cause I read it when you, when you mentioned it and I was, I had your author profile up on Amazon. And so I was seeing all the books as you were naming them and the lasting supper letters for deconstruction. I love the premise here. Um, David has written a weekly letter to the members. This is a collection of the most helpful correspondences for those going through the process of deconstruction or deconversion, or for those experiencing the painful transition of changing beliefs and losing the faith they once knew. Maybe say a little more about that book. I, I think this is a book that might be really helpful to uh, listeners of this show and folks who uh, mm -hmm. are in or coming out of a really unhealthy system. Mm -hmm. So I, I run an online community called thelastingsupper.com. It's it's a, an online community that people pay to, to be a member of. <clears throat> and you know, even even that, even when I say that, I was like, eh, somebody's gonna you know criticize me for that. So I still have some issues to heal there. But that book is basically a compilation of the best letters I feel are the best letters I wrote to that community on a weekly basis. So um, you know, I launched that community in 2012, and so over the years, I, I just went back and picked what I thought would be the most helpful letters to people who are deconstructing and it has everything to do with how to leave the church what do you say what do you say to your family you know what do you say to your kids i think i called that chapter how to change in front of your kids and then how to you know how to um speak about it with your wife and how to make new friends like how do you make friends it's something a skill we never learned i mean when we walked into the church we were handed friendship on a platter but now we have to learn how to really make friends. Uh, how do you do that? Um, you know, how to avoid conflict when it's not necessary or how to engage in a conversation if you feel it is helpful and so on. So it's all those topics all, all in that book. And yeah, um, I, I think it would help a lot of people who are deconstructing just sort of get them familiar with the idea that deconstruction it is not uh, a bad thing for me it's actually spiritual progress it's personal growth um it should be it shouldn't be demonized as it has been 
It shouldn't be chastised as it has been. This is normal, healthy growth. Let's embrace it. Um, for me, deconstruction is a way of life uh, because I'll always question everything that's being handed to me. And so it's just a posture for living. And um, mm -hmm. that's basically what that book's about. I want to ask Bill something. How much money would you have paid Bill or what would you have done to acquire like that that year when you were still attending church and you're having like physical symptoms and you know you're you're really in the deepest part of your deconstruction or the hardest part how much money would you have given for weekly letters that were written for exactly where you are and your marriage and your children and all of the all of the questions that David were just talking about how valuable would that have been I was dirt poor, so it'd be hard for me to say, but I will <laughs> yeah. say priceless, right? Like as I'm priceless. trying to, when I'm reaching out to my family and, and I was a convert, my, my immediate family are not members of the LDS church, but my in-laws were. And oh. so when I reached out to my in-laws to say, Hey, this doesn't add up, right? There's things here that don't quite work out the way I was taught. I wasn't trying to bring them down. I wasn't trying to make them crash. I was trying to get validation that I had done the hard work that I had, I had read the right books and I had looked in the, in the original sources. And what I found was irreconcilable, but what they heard was this person's turned on them and he's trying to take them down and having advice about how to handle your family who still believes how to navigate <laughs> things with children. It would have been priceless. And so yeah. Uh, amazing that you've put a project like that together in writing. Yeah. And it was yeah, someone, it was someone who told me that if, if spirituality outside of religion is going to have a chance, we can't just have the system where the religions ask for all your time and all your money and all your resources. And then people outside of the religion are just doing it part-time in their spare time for free. <laughs> that's not going to be um, helpful for anyone. And so I appreciate that you got over the kind of those money demons and put out resources that were helpful, but also said, this deserves to be paid for. Like this, this was work. Like this yeah. was a part of me that was work and this was time and this was education and, and it deserves yeah. to. And, and so I started to change how I even spent money in the world because I wanted to put my money towards voices that I wanted to hear more of, because mm. that's actually one of the best things that you can do for spirituality is give money to the people and the voices that um, you want to hear more of and give less money to the voices that you want to hear less of. Yeah. And so I appreciate just all of that. That's just really beautiful. All the money I spent on, on the books, the online courses, the coaches, the therapy, I have no regrets. No, I don't want that money back because it all helped me. And uh, yeah, so it, it is worth it for sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about now. I want to move into the cartoons. So we're going to ask you a few questions about the cartoons. And um, then Bill, who does all the tech for this show, God bless him. Um, <laughs> uh we'll bring up some cartoons and just kind of ask you, you know, the sure. backstory or how the process that, that uh, made you kind of create some of our favorite cartoons. But before we get there, um, how, how early in your journey when you were blogging with naked pastor, when did art start to appear and how did you kind of move into cartoons? And then how did you find that 
this was actually something that was resonating with people. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I, I've always been a, I, my dad was a painter and drew a lot. Me growing up watching him, I, I just sort of learned how to draw and learned how to paint. So what I, what I, I was actually, while I was a pastor growing up, you know, when I was younger, I was painting and doing some art shows and things like that, selling my paintings and so on. And the early part of Naked Pastor, um, I would share my paintings. But I think it was around 2006 when I really love a good cartoon, especially a single frame cartoon. My gold standard is the New Yorker. I love New Yorker cartoons. And, um, or, you know, like the far side, all in one frame. And I just challenged myself one day, try to draw a cartoon, see what happens. And uh, I, I challenged myself to draw a cartoon every day until I ran out of ideas. And I thought I would last a few weeks, but here I am 18 years later, still drawing cartoons. And uh, I kept doing it because they resonated and my blog traffic took off and people were sharing them and I was getting hate mail. And, you know, it, it just seemed to, I just seemed to find my niche. You know, I, I seemed to be able to find something that I can do. I can draw and uh, I can, I, I do have a little bit of a sense of humor and I can convey in a few words, fewer the better, uh, some ideas. And um, so I, I just stuck with it. Do you yeah. remember the first one that you did that day? Do you remember what that one was? Uh, um, yeah, the, the very, very first one was um, a guy's praying and he's kneeling and he says, uh, dear Lord, take away my problems. And actually this is in two frames. Uh, Lord, take away all my problems. And then the next frame, all that's left is his clothes. He's poof, he's gone. He was the problem. So uh, that was my very first one. But, um, you know, and, you know, I'll have to admit some of my, many of my cartoons aren't very good, but there are some good ones. Um, my last, my last book, Flip It Like This, is a collection of my best of cartoons that was published by Broadview and, um, or Broadleaf. And, um, you know, they wanted my best of cartoons and I've done, done over 4,000 cartoons and they wanted about 130. So I had a, a lot of hard work to do, but you know, that's, those are my best of. There's about 130 there that are made it into the book. Love it. Should we throw some of these up, Britt? Yeah, I'd love to. So let's do this. So there's just our thumbnail, but, uh, Oh, yeah. This so the first few here so are a handful of ones one of that were touching to Brett. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um so um if there are, are maybe um blind people watching us, uh, there's a a group of men, there happen to be 12, um and talking to a few women, and they say, So ladies, thanks for being the first to witness and report the resurrection, and we'll take it from here. So uh, a little patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, a little patriarchy there. And people either really love that cartoon or hate that cartoon. So, you know, the I most love it so much. <laughs> my most offensive cartoons uh, are the ones that challenge the patriarchy and promote um, mm. feminism or women. They're the most hated, even over my LGBTQ ones. Uh, I, that's patriarchy. interesting very strong right the, the, the christian systems yeah. build on patriarchy it, it really is hard to untangle those two you know yes exactly 
Yeah. I've, I just for me, I've written, I've written, you know, papers and talked for a long time about, um, you know, in Mormonism, you can talk about early Mormon women having more power in the church than they do now, or you talk about Christianity and that it was a woman. You know, the only one who anointed Jesus was a woman, and the ones who saw the resurrection first were women. And and there's always like these whispers of femininity, and there's these women, and then you can see that they're just always cut out. And over time, and it was just this long and painful. It you know it was painful to kind of go through that journey and kind of see all of that happening and see all of the internalized patriarchy in myself and it was liberating in some ways and painful in some ways, and then I just feel like you combined that like years long journey into just this one image, yeah. and it's just like this one might be my all time favorite, but I just really love this one. Yeah, it's one of my favorites too. Thank you. All right, Britt. What was what was it about this one? <sighs> Yeah, so this one is just because I questioned the status quo. They brand me a heretic, and he's standing outside the church. Jesus, yeah. And then Jesus says, "Welcome to the club." And this one was the most conf one of the most confusing things for me to understand. It took me a long time to understand because, like you, David, I I was almost shocked that people didn't like to ask questions, or they sometimes didn't want the kind of conversation that I was wanting to have, or when they would read kind of scripture. Um, and, and either I'm asking questions or I'm challenging something that our community does, does that Jesus would have called out at the time because we're clearly doing it. And when that happened, like you, I just was kind of naive feeling like, oh, everybody else is okay with this too. And then realizing just like the pushback I was getting um, was almost surprising to me. Like I wasn't expecting it after um reading stories about Jesus, because when you read stories about Jesus, he's a heretic and he um, challenges the institution and he does all kinds of cool things. And then when anyone else does the same and, you know, is like Jesus or tries to be like Jesus, then they kick you out just like they did with Jesus. And anyway, again, I have just like yeah. a lot of words and a lot of history that you were able to just pack into this one image. So what was well, kind of the story behind this one? It's kind of a biblical uh, if, you know, I don't like the word biblical anymore, but it is kind of uh, a theme in the Bible that the people we kind of worship as heroes now or elevate, let's not say worship, but elevate as heroes in the Bible were actually uh, rebels. So everybody, you know, uh, you know, Moses, Abraham, Moses, uh, David, um, Jeremiah, Amos, Isaiah. Uh, Jesus, Paul, you know, we could go on and on, John. Uh, but, you know, at the time, they were persecuted for it. But it, it's hindsight that we sort of elevate them to the status of hero when, it, when you know, when you're in the li living presence of somebody who's uh, a rebel or a radical or a cr critic or, or whatever. Um, it's like Jesus also is claimed to have said, uh, you know, they stone the prophets or, you know, that a prophet isn't welcome in their own home, hometown. So it's, that's just a, a theme. Yeah, uh, there is, there is a big biblical theme of the prophets being the ones who spoke truth to power from the wilderness. Like that right. is a theme throughout. Yeah. And it is so interesting that when, again, when you see people do that now, 
it, it's almost something that Christianity has flipped because what I see now is that when Christians play the persecution card and say that, oh, if I'm being attacked or, or you know, stoned symbolically here, it's because I'm following the prophets. It's interesting that they flipped it because the reality is that pushback, if you're doing it right, is supposed to come from within the institution itself. Hmm. And so what I see is, Christians, especially the ones that I get on TikTok for whatever reason, who are just kind of walking around telling me that I'm going to hell for various reasons and just kind of this condescending asshole way of talking. And they'll get pushback for it and they'll say, well, so persecuted the prophets who came before me and they'll play that move when really it was never about the world pushing back at you. If you were doing it right, it was supposed to be the like you're going to ruffle the feathers of your own institution, which yeah. is what happened with the prophets. And yeah. so if you're not the kind of Christian who's getting pushback from other Christians, then you're probably doing that wrong. But I think that that message yeah. gets skewed and they move that persecution to the world in order to kind of validate how they're treating other people. Anyway. Yeah. It, it seems, you know, right along with what you guys are saying, it seems really strange to me. And I've said it before on this podcast, but it, it seems pertinent now that Jesus is when I, um, my religious system taught me that she, Jesus was condemning all of the sinners. And when I went back and read the new Testament with new eyes, what I found was that Jesus was in actuality condemning the religious leaders for their letter of the law, instead of, instead of being kind and compassionate. And what I and I had this light bulb moment maybe three or four years ago where I realized that the very people that Jesus was calling to repentance, the leadership of his religious system, are the very people who ended up putting themselves in charge of Jesus's message and became the gatekeepers of it. And I found that to be really strange. Like the leaders of the church who deem how I can interact and have a relationship with Christ are actually the very same characters that Christ is condemning in the New Testament, and really the only group of people that he condemns. Mm -hmm. I, I found that to be just really strange. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. Any thoughts there from you? Um, well, I agree. Uh, my, my, my concern, and this is another level of uh, having to peel back the, uh, I need to move, change rooms. Um, I have another meeting here coming up. Uh, how long does this go on? I'm sort of. You tell me. You tell me when you need to be done. Yeah, in a in a second here. Just one sec. Are we still live? We are, but you tell me what time you need to be finished by, and, and Britt and I will wrap up by then. Okay. Do you have, have another you, coming you, here by for another meeting? What time does that start? Oh, that's uh, two your time. Gotcha. So four minutes. So we'll we'll wrap up quick. Britt, do you mind if I share maybe one more? I'm sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, let me find. So one of the things you seem to be uh, pertinent about often mm -hmm. in regards to the work that you do is this idea that questions should have been allowed the whole time. And a lot of your, uh, I say comics or cartoons, they seem to point at the idea that questions in the church are seen as very bad. And, and Britt and I experienced this to the nth degree that in Mormonism, questions are almost seen as a a pariah that mm -hmm. will just mm -hmm. take everyone down a, a slippery slope to unbelief. And, and maybe it would, but questions seem to be of real value that religious uh, churches don't really seem to, to want to place value on. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts there from you? And I guess we'll wrap up at that point. 
Yeah, like for me, I feel the church has dropped the ball. I think the church is is great for carrying us along to adolescence. But once we become adolescent and we start thinking for ourselves, we start questioning authority, which is natural. We start questioning, why do I, do I need to believe this? Why should I obey my teacher? Why should I follow the law? You know, all this kind of thing is just natural. That's when the church drops the ball because it doesn't like that kind of... Uh, um, disruption of order and and uh it wants to be able to continue managing us into uh adulthood when in fact it delays it or even prevents it yeah. so uh that's that's my whole idea about questions is it's a natural process it's something we all should be embracing um and it's a part of personal growth and you know i think the greatest um wisdom teachers including Jesus, the Buddha, um, Socrates, etc. Questions were one of the most profound tools to use to awaken wisdom in ourselves and in others. Love it. I think that's a beautiful place to wrap up. We don't want to take any more of your time. We just so appreciate you letting us get to know the man behind the cartoons and just found so much wisdom in, in just the past hour we've had with you. And Bill does a great job making sure that there's links to all the things that we talked about. So people know how to continue to support your work in the world, because uh, I just, I know my life is richer having your voice in the world. And we just thank you for all that you do. Yeah. You help a lot of us not feel alone. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Have me back. Hey, we will. will. Do. We'll have take you back, David. Take it easy, David. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Sorry for the abrupt end. No, no problem. Right. I'm, in fact, I'll let you go, and then Britt and I will talk off the air, and you can get to your meeting, my friend. All right. Awesome. That was great. I, you All know, right. he really is one of these uh, human beings who's doing something in the world that is much needed. There's so many folks who have that dark night of the soul, mm -hmm. and to have a chance to, just through a little comic, to get a little bit of a breath of, because I think most yeah. of us in this deconstructing Mormon scene have seen his work mm -hmm. and uh, just, you know, a simple glance, read a sentence and you sort of sense that you're not alone in this whole thing. Yeah. And I just really value too, like the grace, you can tell that he's done deep inner work just by yeah. the, the kind of the wisdom and compassion that he's able to hold because sometimes in these, um, in these post religious spaces, and I understand that anger is like a fate, like a healthy phase to go through. And sometimes you just need to unleash fire and that's just the healthiest thing for you to do. But sometimes, yeah, it can get into a shaming place or it can get into a superiority place um, and these other kind of not healthy places. And so his ability to just say, hey, religion's going to be around. And if it's going to be around, I've thought a lot about this. I've been in this world for a long time. I'm going to throw my voice into the ring to try to make it better for the people who are in it, for the people who are in mixed faith marriages, for the people who are coming out of it, for the people who are trying to find community as they're coming out of it. And I just find a lot of beauty and wisdom in that approach rather than like, oh, I was a pastor and I wasted my whole life and now life is meaningless and religion's stupid and it took everything from me. You know, I, I just find a lot more just wisdom in, in his approach that allows compassion for his previous self, but also allows his voice to kind of say, I have something to say about this. And I just, yeah, I, I wanted, love it. I want to throw a couple more of these up. Um, yeah, let's do. So here, God revealed to me that there are uh, two people in this church who are not conforming to our values. And for folks listening in audio, there's a preacher at a pulpit. It's obvious he's wearing a mask. 
The entire congregation has masks on, and every mask is a smiley face, except for two. One has a question mark, so he's got questions. And the one person in the fourth row has got a frowny face. But even they're wearing masks, right? Like we're all yeah. wearing masks in church. And the person who can't make the history or the theology or the doctrine work is, is not conforming to the values. The person who's having a traumatic experience and not enjoying it is part of the problem, right? And, and nowhere is the idea that maybe because we're all wearing masks and not being honest with ourselves, maybe that's the issue. Yeah. Isn't that so crazy how he can pack? I've never seen that particular cartoon before, but you and I can talk for a long time. In fact, we have before about how you have to kind of mask in these church spaces in order to belong. And, and um, he can just pull that off with just, just this brief image. Yeah. Everything that we've said about how you have to put on a mask in order to belong and what that costs. Yeah. And um, and not everybody the whole, there's happy, yeah. right? Like they're all wearing yeah. a mask that says they're happy. But yes. behind that mask is a person who's hiding their real self. Yeah. This is why, I mean, I, I get sometimes on TikTok, I'll get people who say that religion, people who are religious have been, better mental health and they say that they're happier. And I always, I always wonder, especially when I think back to my time in Mormonism, that if I were asked if I was happy, the pressure that I would feel to say yes, right? And then we know the reality of the state of Utah and the use of Prozac. And those those statistics do not line up well. <laughs> and so I always wonder like, you know, who's who's speaking honestly? And, and there's a lot of complexity in, in saying that religion, religious people are happier. Sometimes it's just because they have better community resources. Better, better social safety net and then sometimes is it like is it because you're wearing a mask and you think that you have to be happy because you are in the right religion right you won the lottery you are god's special favorite people why aren't you happy in this pressure to wear that mask but man he just does all that in one sentence it's, it's really quite incredible what he's able this, to do this sort of captures that other side of it which is uh there's a person kneeling by a bed praying and they're saying dear god like like, what the fuck? You know, like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, yeah, uh, some shit happened today that, you know, if you're really it's there, not okay. it really explain it. No, yeah, it's not OK. How is this OK? <laughs> <laughs> there are so many. Th- we we lived in a faith where people would get up once a month and talk about the moment God helped them with these tender mercies of helping them find their keys or mm-hmm. whatever the silly story was. And meanwhile, you sort of blocked out all of the atrocious things that are happening in the world. And somehow God cares about, you know, Sister Jones up in Kaysville who can't find her keys, but he somehow neglects these, you know, 40 kids this week, which were sold into the sex trade business. Mm. And uh, it's, you know, kind of that, um, the problem of evil, essentially, right? The philosophical problem of evil. But dear God, like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Like, really? All right. Do you have any more? Yeah. Uh, I have have like 50 of them. We won't do all of them. Let me. I love these. Go back to the couples ones. The couples ones. um, By the way, look at Buddhism for beginners. That might be Jack Cornfield's book. Oh, that's funny. Um, Yeah, I do. He does some great couples ones that um, I know that he really does a lot of work to speak to mixed faith marriages, because as he's found, like we found too, people don't deconstruct usually at the same time in the same way. In fact, I've almost never heard of a couple that like, wow, we were listening to the same podcast and we both had the same response at the same time. Like that's just really unheard of. And so the work that he does with mixed uh, faith marriages, 
and and putting words to kind of that feeling of someone is changing and it's 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 really rattling the relationship um are ones that deeply deeply hit me because it was you know i was in a mixed faith marriage for a couple years before um chad eventually left with me but uh yeah i really love this couple one so this one says these people love each other that means that they trust one another with their own spiritual journeys oof and like how many times you know, for mixed faith marriages, would it improve if people just trusted each other with their own spiritual journey and were curious about it and open to the spiritual journey of the other person instead of you're changing in a way that threatens my identity and now there's an issue with my marriage. So again, he says so much with so little. This one shows, uh, it shows a couple, the one we're just now talking about, shows a couple in a, on a bed, looks like a husband and a wife, one's reading the Bible, the other one's reading Buddhism for beginners. Which has got to be Noah Rochetta or Jack Cornfield, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and that whole line about both of them, both of them uh, trust each other. I, I think, as you point out, mixed faith marriages are tough enough as they are. And uh, let's play. Let's just show two more. This one is a bunch of uh, exclamation okay. points beating the shit out of a question mark. Yeah. So the idea that certainty is the only acceptable thing here. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, just so much. It's just four question or four exclamation marks hitting a question mark. But yet the feeling down. like I remember the feeling of people declaring their testimony louder with me as if that would solve my question. And it just, you know, you just. Yeah. And if you got up an and image. said anything nuanced, somebody would get up immediately after you to say, you know, the, yeah. the Holy Ghost glove, the five things you could know. And mm. it seems like an effort to sort of silence you. Yeah. All right. Let's do one more. Yeah. Here's the bishop behind the desk. It says pastor, but we'll say it's an LDS bishop. I've never experienced spiritual abuse. And she said, not as a victim anyway. <laughs> so yeah, you have, you've just been on the other side of the desk, you know? Yeah. He uh, just really nails these dynamics of, I mean, of the mixed faith marriage or the questioner in the congregation, or he has multiple where there's like a woman with the pastor and the woman is the one deconstructing and, and kind of that, that relationship dynamic. And you can tell that he's spent time in this space and really thought about it um, because he can just really nail that relationship dynamic in a way that says, oh my God, that's me too. That's how I feel in church too. That's how I felt when I talked to my religious leader too. Look at this one. Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest. And there's a bunch of people in between him and the church. And the church says, come unto me and I will give you religious trauma. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he does. He captures a lot in such a little bit. And, it, and I'm really glad that you reached out and got him uh, on the podcast. He's such a, seems like such a sincere, caring man who spent his entire life pushing against the status quo and trying to get the church to see that it's part of the, it's a, it's, maybe a major part of the problem, if not the most significant part of the problem when it comes to religion. Yeah. And yeah, just last thing from me. Yeah. I, I really loved him. I can tell, I can tell he's really walked the walk and done some inner work and is holding space for all of this. And I also think he's one of those guys that like, yes, he's an ex pastor, but I think he still values the mystic Jesus. I think you can tell that in some of his mm. cartoons um, where Jesus is the, is the heretic, is the mystic. And I can still see that there's still something about Jesus for him as a mystic that speaks to him, even though he also sees that in Buddha and other characters that he's mentioned. And so I also really love that too, um, valuing what, you know, the wisdom has to value while kind of 
giving voice to the abuses, which which is what you and I try to do on this podcast too. So I am going to go buy one of his prints just at, to show my appreciation for him and his voice and work in the world. Uh, Bill did a great job posting links to all the books and um, his website where you can do the same if you have seen some of his cartoons or kind of want to support him. And as always, for more podcasts like this where we get to hear the deconstruction of people who are really in this space, who were in this space even before you and I were in this space, Bill. Um, yeah, just keep uh, supporting the podcast so that we can continue to have these conversations. Awesome. Britt, thanks for putting this one together. Folks, you can check us out at almostawakened.org. We're also available. Podcast audio is on any third-party podcast app such as Apple or Google Play, Stitcher, and others. Uh, and the video uh, version of the podcast is on YouTube uh, on the Mormon Discussion Incorporated channel. It has its own playlist, Almost Awakened. Check us out there. And we really appreciate everybody who uh, is a follower, listener of our program. And uh, thanks to all those who support this work so that we can keep doing it. Yeah. Thanks and so much, the everybody. Next, the next two weeks, just so everybody knows, we're going to do two weeks on cults. I have a great, we're going to uh, watch the Netflix I don't remember what show it was on the documentary about how to create a cult. And there's Ooh. kind of six chapters to that mm. of how you would build a cult. So Bill and I are going to go watch that and take notes and talk about cults. And then after that, we, I found um, an author of someone who is an expert in cults to come onto the podcast and talk to us more. So Bill and I are going to, mm. yeah, we're going to do some research on cults and kind of get the conversation going. And then we'll bring in kind of an expert on cults and how to create a cult and how cults work. Um, that's just really, really interesting. And um, so we'll be doing cults the next two weeks, which everybody should be familiar with because they're just everywhere and we are just wired for them. And it, I find it so fascinating to dive into that world. So we'll be doing cults, cults the next two weeks. That's exciting. It, I'm, I felt a little triggered uh, as you were saying that. But um, I'm going to go make myself a pitcher of Kool-Aid and watch the yeah. program and take some yeah. notes. Yeah. Okay. We're going to learn how to turn this podcast into a cult. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's starting... do it. <laughs> we'll get a step-by-step -step guide. Yeah, we'll yeah. come back. I'm, I'm afraid there's going to be a lot of similarities between that program and the programming I received. So Yeah, I know. And that's going to hurt. <laughs> but we, we got to go. We got to go into it. Let's do it. And uh so it'll be good. All right. Thanks, awesome. everybody. Have a great day, everyone. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.